Good morning, Anthem. I'm Chris. I'm the college director here at Anthem um, for the salt company. So uh, I hang out with college students a lot, but get the privilege to periodically come up here and preach on Sundays. Um, as you guys can maybe tell by the song we just went through, we're going to be going through nice, uh, through Psalm 16 today. Uh, through Psalm 16. Uh, I got one of the last slots uh, for this. They had filled out the whole teaching schedule for the summer. And um, so I got the very last slot, and the, and the thing was to pick your favorite psalm. And so I, I, I kind of got the scraps, you know, because there's not very many psalms to choose from. And, <laughs> um, and I didn't even think about Psalm 16, because I was like, surely someone has taken that. Like, surely someone has taken Psalm 16, because this has not only been my favorite psalm, but my favorite passage of scripture to meditate on over the past couple years, uh, more than any other portion of scripture I have sat in this text. Um, And so I am so excited for the privilege to walk us through this today. And here's why I meditate on this so much. Verse 11 specifically says, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's why I meditate on that, why I sit in that. I don't always believe that. My, my bones don't believe it sometimes. Don't, don't feel it sometimes right do you feel that like the path of life at times is where God is not like there I say that where sin is where the fullness of joy is that where where pleasures forevermore lie is where my heart goes what I want not at the right hand of God but but at my right hand, right? What my heart desires. See, right, we have these desires that are not of God and in God. And we can get frustrated with ourselves. Right, we, we have these desires, these wants, and, and we can recognize intellectually in our head that they're, they're apart from God. And then we, we'll walk into sin, and here's what we do. We get frustrated with ourselves. We get madder. We, we feel guilt, we feel shame. And then, it, and then it goes to praying to God, God, just take this desire away from me. Right, right you, you don't want me to have these desires, right? You don't want me to have these wants. But here's where I would say that's wrong. See, God created us as passionate human beings meant to experience desire, experience pleasure, experience joy. He didn't create us melancholy. And then in the fall, we took on this this persona of passionate human beings. If if you go back to Genesis 2, we see when, when Adam goes into a deep sleep, what happens when he wakes up, right? He sees Eve and he says, you look all right. She's like, thanks. Big guy. Maybe we should tend the garden. And then they're tending the garden, and then just 
kind of all gray too. It's like the old movies, right? Just gray everywhere. And then they eat the apple, and all of a sudden you see the color come in, and passion comes in. He's all of a sudden like, Eve, I want you. I want you now. I desire you. No. We see in Genesis 2, pre-Genesis 3, where, where Adam and Eve see sin, we see Genesis 2. Adam goes into a deep sleep. And what happens when he wakes up? Right? Before this, he was looking at all the animals. He's naming them. None of them are like him. Everything's good. But then he sees Eve and he says, At last! bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I want you. I desire you. You see the passion. You see the desire. God has given us passions and desires, but they're meant to be directed in the right object, towards the right object, and within the right desire. See, the issue, issue isn't that we have desires. The issue is that we search for life, joy, and pleasure in things outside of what our desires were made for. C.S. Lewis has a quote that sums this up well. I'm sure a lot of you maybe heard this. Here's what he writes. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered by the what is imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased with the facade of life, joy, and pleasures in these things outside of God. And here's the thing, we need to fight with a patient endurance. Fight with a patient endurance to direct our passions and desires toward the Lord. To find true life, true joy, and true pleasure. So here's what I think we're going to see the main point of Psalm 16 is today. Is that when God is our safest refuge and our supreme counselor, we are brought into our greatest joy, life, and pleasure. Again, when God is our safest refuge and our supreme counselor, we're brought into our greatest life, joy, and and pleasure. And you're going to hear those words over and over again because of verse 11 there. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when God is our safest refuge and supreme counselor, those become true for us. And I believe this text is broken up into three main parts. We're going to see verses 1 through 8. Where, where David, the psalmist here, he, he talks a lot about pleading and, and declaring and doing. And then, and then verse 9, he talks about who he is because of that. And then verse 10 and 11, he's going to talk about what, what God offers because of those, those things. And so, 
Verse 1, um, I'm going to get into it. It says, a mitkam of David. That word, I, it, I didn't pronounce it right. It's crazy. Miktam. Um, it just means an inscription or just like a writing of David, which I, I, I think could be taken as this is a prayer of David pleading before the Lord. And then he goes into preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Right, so you see him pleading in that first part, preserve me, God, keep me safe. And then he, he declares, in you I take refuge. But, but notice that second half. He says, preserve me. He says, in you I take refuge. In, in you, God, not what you give, I take refuge in you. Not your gifts. Not these mechanical things that pr- can protect me. I take refuge in you, in relationship with you, in being able to seek you. Preserve me, O oh God, for in you I take refuge. And this feeds in the verse 2. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good thing apart from you, God. Apart from you. There is nothing on this earth that you could give me that I could have that would give me more good because I have you. I have no good apart from you. And this is the first step in being brought into our greatest life, joy, and pleasure is realizing where that lies. Realizing where that lies, that, that there is no good apart from, from that. And, and the question is, do you, do you believe that? Again, we go to the, the head thing where it's like, I, I, I have no good apart from God. We can state that, but, but when we pray that in our hearts, what are some things that maybe come to mind? Like, God, I have no good apart from you, but this is really great. We pray, God, I have no good apart from you, but can I have this? Can I have this? Whether that's a job, whether that's significant others, whether that's kids. Like, what is your safest refuge? What is there in your heart that if you really mind it out, it's like, I kind of need that thing. That, that's, that, that adds on to the good a little bit. See, but this is going back to the Lewis quote. I, I think we have such a small view of what pleasure in the Lord alone looks like. Such a small view of what it looks like to just be rooted in God alone. And honestly, how much more we can enjoy those good gifts that God gives us when we first enjoy Him most when we first enjoy him most again our desires are not too strong but too weak and they're just oriented in the wrong direction and, and so we see we see David here he shifts from he's praying over his heart he's, he's declaring and then he goes to others he goes outward here verse 3 
As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. See, because of his view of God, because of his view of the good that he has in the Lord, it shifted his view of, of those around him. See, he delights in those who follow God. And I was honestly, as I was mining this text out and, and trying to figure out what it means, I was confused by verse 3. And I think this reveals something in my heart, and I would, I would maybe wonder the same thing for you. If he's saying, as for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I literally, I thought it was going to like God's perspective here, and I'm like, okay, why is David like talking and like declaring and pleading, and then he's going to God's perspective and he's coming back, but he's, see that's the evil in my heart there, of is my delight in those who would say that God is their greatest good? Are, are, are my deepest friendships, my deepest delights, are, are those with people that are pursuing the same good that I am? Why is it confusing that it, that it talks about delighting in the saints? And, and I think it's a little bit confusing because of how divisive the church is today. Right? Like, could, could this be read over the American church? Of my delight is in the saints. I delight in that church across town that maybe does stuff a little bit different. I delight in those other campus ministries. I, I delight in them. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And I think verse 4 actually feeds into this a little bit, the response. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. And, and he uses the, the lowercase g there, right? Because he's just saying they're, they're chasing these gods, they're chasing these idols. The, the sorrows of those who chase these idols, they multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. How does your heart respond to that? Right, he's talking about those that are sacrificing, now chasing things outside of God. And maybe there's people that come to mind with that. And he's saying, I don't even speak of their name. They're not pursuing the same things I am. See, so do we here today, in this church, do we have deeper and better friendships with those inside the church or outside of the church? Do, I, do we identify more, connect more with, with those who are inside the church or outside the church? And I don't just mean anthem, I mean the the universal big church, other Christians, who do we identify with more? Who are we more deeply connected with? And from there I would ask the question, what does it mean when you, a professing Christian, find most joy in people who find no joy in what is supposed to be your primary joy and delight? What does that say about your heart? of maybe what, what, you're, what you're just wanting to get a little bit of a toe in the water with them, right? When you identify most with those people who do not want the joy that you are seeking, do not want the good that you are seeking. 
And I'm, I'm not saying don't seek friendships outside the church. That would completely go against the Great Commission, right, of make disciples, reach people. But I do think we need to ask the question, where are our deepest friendships, the people that we process things with? The people that we seek out. Who do you have around you that can point you to the Lord? Right, because if, if, if you're going to people that are not seeking God as their greatest good, and you're trying to process stuff out, they're not going to point you to Jesus. They're going to maybe point you to your own heart's desires or their own whole view does not match up. So who, who are you seeking out? Who are you surrounding yourself with who are fighting the same fight for joy in the Lord? I think that's what we can mine out from verses 3 and 4. And then verse 5, David goes on to talk about what all is good being in the Lord. Looks like he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Right? Out of, out of all the choice wines, the choice meats that are laid out in front of me, the Lord is my chosen portion. And I, maybe it's not wines and meats for you, but out of all the things that can be laid out in front of you that you would find desire and delight and joy in, where, where does the Lord kind of stack up with these things? Is He your chosen portion? To your chosen portion. And he holds our lot. And it kind of means he holds our future. And here's the thing about that. It's, it's beautiful and great that he holds our future because I know that that future includes him. We know that, that when, the, when the Lord is holding my future, holding my lot, it includes him and that's my greatest good. I have no good apart from where God would have me. He holds my future. He holds my lot. And then going on to verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And here's the thing about the word pleasant places there. Uh, it's actually the same word. Those two words are the same word used for pleasures in verse 11. And the words lines can be kind of considered boundary lines. So, so you take those words pleasant places and you kind of condense it to just pleasures if you want to keep with the translation there. It could be looked at the lines, the boundaries have fallen for me within pleasures. The boundaries have fallen for me within pleasures. There's a long list of things I'm bad at. And, and on that list is bowling. So here's what happens when I go bowling. I'll go try for about one frame, two frame, but the third frame I'm like throwing it between my legs or doing like the backwards thing or closed eyes and three lanes over, whatever. And then I maybe eventually, I'll go up to the counter. I'm like, hey, my like 10 year old nephew or something needs the bumpers. And they're like, I didn't know you had a kid. And I'm like, just put the bumpers up. And then, right, they, they give you the little bumpers, like the, these, these boundaries where you can, you can just toss it as hard as you want, as bad as you want, in whatever way you want. And you're going to hit a pin. Unless, yeah, hopefully you'll hit a pin. Right, they, they put 
these bumpers up so you can try to hit the target. Try to hit the pins at the end. Try to, try to get a strike. And this is what God does for us with these, these boundaries. Right? He, he circumscribes our life in such a way, gives us, gives us direction in such a way that He's just pushing us towards pleasure and joy in the Lord. That is what our boundaries are for. He's saying, you can't hit the target apart from me, so I'm going to help you. Here's some boundaries. Here's how you can seek delight in life and joy in me. Follow this, and you'll hit the target that your heart desires, these desires of passion and joy that I have given you from all the way back in the garden. I want to help you hit that. Here's your boundaries. And we see in verse 7 how he declares those boundaries. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. See, this is where God declares his boundaries for us, in his counsel. In his word. In those around us that push us to the Lord. And he gives us the constant counsel if only we would seek that. This is where he says, in the night, even when I'm sleeping, you're constantly counseling my heart. If only I would listen. My heart instructs me in the night. This is where he declares his boundaries for us to push us into pleasure. And here's the thing about the counsel of the Lord. You remember the main point of the sermon that when God is our safest refuge and our supreme counselor, we're brought into our greatest life, joy, and pleasure. And God being our supreme counselor and our greatest refuge, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. See, God being our counsel is our refuge. God being our counsel is our refuge. Because remember, our joy is in the Lord. I have no good apart from God. It's not these mechanical things He puts around me. It's His counsel that pushes us into refuge in Him, into safety in Him, so that when we're making dumb decisions or when sin creeps the door or when hard things happen in life, we can be pushed towards the Lord in refuge in Him, because there's no good thing here on earth that He could give us apart from Him. His counsel is His refuge. And He uses this counsel again to circumscribe us, circumscribe our lives and push us into pleasure and joy. And then the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. And trusting that counsel and those boundaries affects how you experience Him as your treasure. Trusting that counsel and those boundaries affects how you experience Him as your treasure. See, this is why when we live a, a syncretistic Christianity, we don't fully experience God as our treasure. And, and so syncretism, what it is, is it's the recondition and fusion of different beliefs. That word sync that's kind of in the beginning, just sinking, just fusing 
things together. So when we live a syncretistic Christianity, we, we kind of fuse our beliefs and, and our boundaries with the boundaries of the Lord, right? Instead of just saying, okay, God, where's your boundaries? I'm stepping into that. We kind of have it outlined a little bit, and we're like, okay, I'll bring this in a little bit, but I want to keep this one out here. And so we're actually going out of bounds of God's counsel. And then, then we don't experience this joy that he said we were, these pleasures he said we experience, this delight, and we get confused, and it's like, I tried it out. And it didn't work. When in all reality, you did not try it out. You tried to morph God's boundaries with the boundaries of your heart and your desires and your wants rather than just looking at the Word of God and what He would have for us. We need to fight the fall within the boundaries of the Lord. Fight. This is why we need counsel from the God, because from God, our our natural leaning is not just to be like, okay, I'm just going to walk down the path that God would have me. Right? This is why we need counsel from the Lord, and it is a fight to believe that and trust that and fall within those boundaries. But this is why we fight. And then going on in the verse. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He's setting the Lord before him as his supreme counsel, as his guide, saying, I'm following you, and because of that, I shall not be shaken. Because I have you. Because I have you, God, I am following you, I shall not be shaken. And this is, this is where it shifts from, from David pleading and declaring and doing to now he's stating who he is because of that. What happens inside of his heart, right? This is the, the transfer from the head to the heart. This is where it happens. He says, therefore, because I do these things, because I listen to your boundaries, because I listen to your counsel, because I follow you, therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices from the inside out because I have followed you. Therefore, in the verse 9, the second half of verse 9, it says, My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, For you'll not abandon my soul shawl or let your holy one see corruption see his whole being rejoices he has chosen God and he, he is rejoicing and this is what God gives him because of that this is why he's rejoicing my flesh also dwells secure for because you will not abandon my soul to shawl or let your holy one see corruption I won't see corruption. I won't see death. I won't see Hades because I have chosen you. See, but the the kind of confusing where he says my flesh dwells secure. Right? Doesn't that kind of contradict the thing of like, Chris, I thought it wasn't 
like the, his, his flesh, he had this mechanical safety. No, he's, he's saying my flesh dwells secure because he knows even after a physical death on this side of heaven, he will not be abandoned. He has a greater hope than this. And that's life forevermore with God. This flesh does not offer him security. His flesh dwells secure because he has sought the Lord. See, we are secure whether in life or death because we have God as our greatest good and because we rejoice in our glad. Paul pens this in, in Philippians 1, verses 18 to 22. I might have told Joe a little wrong. so he's going to cut off a verse up there. Sorry. It's Joe's fault. Um, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm in the flesh, it means that it's fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. For me to live is Christ. I get to glorify God. I get to live for Jesus, but to die is gain because I get to go be with Jesus. Our flesh dwells secure because we are not abandoned to Sheol. And he finishes this with verse 11. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get to experience that forevermore. Because David sought God as his safest refuge and as his supreme counselor, he experienced that. Right, this is kind of the, the cap, the culmination. Right, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he experienced that because verses 1 through 8, he listened to God's counsel and sought him as his safest refuge. There he, therefore he can say these things. He was understanding that God's boundaries were pushing him into his presence where the path of life, joy, and pleasure are at. And we have that same hope. And we have, we have access to the same life, joy, and pleasure. And, and Peter actually talks about this at Pentecost in, in Acts 2. He, he references back to, to David here. So this is right as the early church is, is kind of making its way and about to explode. And, and Peter gives a sermon at Pentecost. And what he says, he says, Brothers, Acts 2, verses 29 to 32. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. He died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Right, so his, his earthly flesh, he died. And it's like he's still, his tomb's still with us. Being there for a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would be set, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That 
that he would not be abandoned to Hades. That even though, even though he would die and would be in a tomb right now, he would not be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. See, I don't know that David knew exactly God's plan for redemption. I don't know if he knew that, that a couple thousand years later that, that Jesus would come up through his lineage and, and would die on a cross and take on his sins. I don't know if he knew exactly what it looked like, but he did know this. God has made me an oath, he's made me a promise, and he's faithful, and I know that he will not abandon me. I know that he will not abandon me. Here's the thing, though. We have the picture now. We have the full picture of God's plan for redemption through Jesus Christ on the cross. Dying the death that we deserve so we could have new life in him. We know that truth. And because of that, well, when, we, when we place our faith and our hope in Jesus, we get God dwelling inside of us to give us counsel and give us direction and give us guidance and give us new life. And when we place our hope in that, we can pray the same prayer with fervency that you will not abandon my soul to show my flesh not, shall not see corruption. We can pray with the same fervency as the Apostle Paul. He says, whether life or death, I'm here to glorify God because my hope is in Him. I have no good apart from Him. We have that same hope. We have access to that same joy. If only we would trust that. Trust that even when it doesn't feel right, that the boundaries that God gives are better than the boundaries of your heart. Trust Him as supreme counselor and His safest refuge so we might have life and joy and pleasures forevermore. And as we close here, what does it look like for us to pursue and seek God as our safest refuge and our supreme counselor? What does this kind of practically look like? Verse 1. Sit at the feet of Jesus daily. Sit at the feet of Jesus daily. Get in the Word of God daily. Pray to Him daily. Get time with Him daily because He is your supreme counselor. Because you know if you're not getting time with Him daily, you know who's going to be counseling to you? This little guy right here. This guy, this heart, this deceitful heart, this flesh, does not stop counseling. So we need time at the feet of Jesus daily to just hear from Him, to just be with Him. And sit in humility. Sit in humility to trust the counsel of the Lord, trust the counsel of other people. And as you sit, pray that our desires our desires these wants would be oriented towards the Lord and that we would seek them in the object that we were meant to seek them in. And two, I think a practical is surrounding yourself with people who are pushing you towards the Lord. Who are you surrounded with right now? Who, again, who are your main processes and are they, are they people that would say that I have no good apart from the Lord? 
And if they wouldn't say that, are they going to be able to give you counsel and push you towards Jesus? I would be very surprised if they could. Because they're seeking a good outside of what you're seeking good in if you profess Jesus as Lord. Surround yourself with people that are pushing you towards the Lord. And lastly, I would reflect and I would ask the question, if I truly believe this in my bones, not just my head, if I believe this in my bones, what would change? What would change right now? What would change today? What action step would I take? For some, I believe that's confessing something that you've been holding on to for a long time. And confessing because in bringing sin to the light, you can let the gospel speak in. You can let Jesus speak in. And maybe God's been kind of prompting you a little bit. Maybe you need to talk to your significant other about this. Or talk to friends about this. That would be inside my boundaries, would be seeking me in that way. You confessing that is seeking pleasure in me. Maybe it's confessing. Maybe it is just that first point of carving time out daily to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe for others it's getting your eyes off yourself to, to love others and serve others in the way that Jesus has loved and served you. See, there are a thousand and one things I could name on this list, but this is the beautiful thing about those who profess faith in Jesus. You have a much better counselor inside of you than me, so... I'm going to just pray that God's going to be prompting some things on your heart right now. If you believe this in your bones, maybe this would change. And I would just ask that you lean into that. Follow the counsel of the Lord and let Him be your refuge. That is where true life, joy, and pleasure lie. I'm going to pray for us. God, you do make known to us the paths of life. If only we would follow that. If only we would humbly submit and step inside your boundaries and listen to your counsel, Lord, so we could experience that and not live this Christianity that tries to sync you up with the boundaries that we want. But if we would just wholeheartedly follow you, because you are where our greatest joy and pleasure is. I pray that what, what you're prompting hearts in here today to take the step, that that step would be taken, and it's hard, it's gritty, and it stinks, and it doesn't feel good, but it's where you are at. And I praise you that through Jesus on the cross, we have pleasures forevermore with you. We have hope forevermore in you. We have relationship with you. Pray that we would just faithfully pursue you and seek you and just sit at your feet and hear from your wise counsel and not from the counsel of our own hearts, Lord. Let's just open-handedly serve you and love you and seek you. Where life, joy, and pleasures are truly at. Your holy name.